So Unplugged is repeatedly one of those events that impacts our young people in a huge way. And whenever we question them, what are some of the things that have impacted you most in church? Every time this is what comes up. And you're talking about solid kids, love Jesus, going after Jesus with everything they have. This event impacts them in, in a big way. So we do have a number of kids that won't, uh, can't pay. And we're going to pay for them regardless of whether you guys give or not. But if you feel led, uh, please donate. We appreciate that. All right. I want you to say these words after me. Wow. wow. That's, amazing. That's amazing. Amen. Amen. That's going to change my life. All right, we got you warmed up. All right, so I, I love this. Um, we're on the last week of Everybody Wins. And as I really began to study this text, it, um, I love it. It is, it is incredible. It translates um, in any language. It translates in any culture. It uh, is 2,000 years old, and yet it is still is relevant today. It's incredible. I mean, Jesus was brilliant. We know that he 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 was um, was everything that that if we want to see the father, we look at him. Right. John eleven thirty five. When uh, it says Jesus wept, uh, he was at Lazarus's uh, tomb. He was moved with compassion on the mourning of the people. And for me, I just I believe that it wasn't supposed to be this way. We sinned. There's pain, there's depression, there's mourning. And I think he was just moved by, uh, by the emotions of people. He was moved by his people. Um, but whenever we look at Jesus, we are seeing a picture of the father. We are seeing how he responds to a situation. He's, he, we are seeing his heart for people in every situation. He is seeing his heart against religion. We are seeing his heart against how he treats people. And, and I think it's really important that when we read through scripture, we're understanding that we are getting the father's heart when we look at Jesus. Okay. So as we cover this text and it's going to be a little different than the way I normally preach, I feel like I'm supposed to teach a little more today and we're going to go through this text and I want you to actually find yourself in, in the middle of the text this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity, God, to speak your word and that we get to hear it. I pray, Lord, that you would bring us revelation, God, that not only do we want to hear it, we want to do something with it. We pray that you would move mightily in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout history, um, this, this, week's, uh, this week's message or title is everybody wins when hearts are broken. Okay. Everybody wins when hearts are broken. When your heart is broken, everybody wins. And, and so I want you to walk out of here ultimately going, God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. Okay. That's, that's a scary prayer to, to pray, but it'll change your life. Not only will it change your life, it'll change the people around you, uh, in your work, in your school, in your family. So throughout history, there have been people and there's mul multiple examples. I just listed five. Uh, Moses, his heart was broken for, for God and his people who were coming out of bondage. He wanted to set them free uh, and his heart was broken. We have Jer uh, Nehemiah who looked at the broken walls surrounding Jerusalem and broken walls meant that people would be attacked and people would be scattered. And he wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild uh, that people. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, if you read through Jeremiah, you see how many things he suffered on behalf of trying to get um, God's people to return to God. His heart was broken for those people. We have Jesus who repeatedly, he would walk through um, the, the cities and, and his heart 
would be moved with compassion. He, he said the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And then right before he died, he was weeping over Jerusalem, saying how often I wanted to draw you unto myself. Because he knew what was about to happen. And so people who did great things, moved by God. Paul, too, is another one. Just He, he poured out his life on behalf of the church. His heart was broken for people to know Jesus. And so in the same manner, I have found that my heart has been broken repeatedly as I drive on the interstate of Omaha. It's pretty pathetic. This is some of the worst drivers that I have ever experienced. So I have compiled for you a list of things that break my heart on a regular basis. I have a top 10 list. I could have a top 100 list with several honorable mentions. But we're going to go through the top 10. Number 10. And if you find yourself in this list, I'm asking you not to drive anymore. Number 10. The person who needs five minutes to complete a turn. You guys know you're not going to fall off the earth if you go ahead and make that turn, right? Number nine. The person who is on their phone talking in the car. Some of y'all can't even talk and walk at the same time. You don't need to be using it in the car. Number eight, the person who takes a long time to get up to speed. Put your foot on the right pedal. It's the gas. Press it down. Number seven, the person who goes under the speed limit. Oh my gosh. Number six, the person who does not match the speed of the cars entering the highway. They're doing 35 and people are doing 70. That's not a good combination. Number five, the person who pulls out in front of you driving slowly, even though there is no one behind you. It's what you, you know how trains have the little, those little cow catcher things. I wish I had one on my car. They just slide right off to the side. Number four, the person who is afraid of making a decision. So you give them a moment. They cut on their blinker and you kind of lay back a little bit, but they won't make the decision. They're afraid. I give you five seconds. That's it. And I'm gone. Number three, the person that waits to the last minute to realize they need to get off on an exit. They're on the left-hand side. There's four lanes of traffic. Oh, that's right. I'm going over there. Number two, the person that needs to have a hundred car links from the car in front of them. So you're going down the road. Everybody's passing them. They look like they're going backwards because they need so many people in front of them. Number one. Oh, dear Lord. The person who gets in the left hand lane and won't move. So I've told you guys before I could clear this up with timeout cops. If you are breaking any of these rules, all we need is a cop that will pull you over and put you in timeout for 15 minutes at a time. If you break it twice, that's 30 minutes. You break it three times, that's 45 minutes. I'm telling you, you need to elect me as mayor. We could solve all these problems. The world would be a better place. So uh, our text this morning 
is Luke 10, 25 through 37. And it's on the Good Samaritan. And really, as you look at this passage, it is incredibly brilliant. I mean, it really is. It translates in any culture. It, it's just amazing. And as I studied it and really began to dig into it a little bit, I'm, I'm just amazed by Jesus. Sometimes we, we kind of just read through Scripture, but we don't really understand what we're reading or we don't take the time to, to do some research. And it, it's incredible. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a verse at a time, and then I'm going to give you just insights into each verse. So we'll begin with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, we all do this. We all have an idea of what we think is right, right? So, but this guy is publicly making a decision to try to trap Jesus. That's, that's a bad move, right? He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, this is a, a great question. If somebody asks you a question... A lot of times you'll see that Jesus just asked a question back. He wants to kind of see where people are. You can do the same thing. If they ask you a question, if, if they're wanting information, they're wanting um, wisdom, a good thing to do is to ask them a question. So what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? Great question. Um, what do you think it says is what Jesus is, is responding. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And this pretty much just sums up everything, right? Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now that would have been a great ending right there, right? But the lawyer is trying to trap Jesus. And sometimes if we're being honest in the church, we like people to know that we know the answer. But how many know it's more important that you're living the answer? Okay. So verse 29. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We are always looking for a loophole. All of us are always looking for a loophole. In marriage, me and my wife have an argument. Guess who God comes to to say you need to go ask for forgiveness? Me. Doesn't matter what's happened. I'm the leader. I need to go and humble myself, right? We're always looking for a loophole. And this is a great picture of that. But he wanted to justify himself. And at the heart of the matter, isn't this really the issue? Is everybody winning in your life? Are the people that you're working with, are they winning? The people that are in your family, are they winning? Are you ministering to them the way that you're supposed to? Who, this is a great question, who should I allow my heart to be broken for? Or maybe a better question, who are you not allowing God to break your heart for? I mean, with the political climate the way that it is, the racial component, with people that have done you wrong, people that you don't get along with. See, winning is different to God than it is to us. It really is. So he's asking, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Well, who is your neighbor? Let's ask that for a minute. Is, is it your boss that is a jerk? Is it the, the person that you know is stabbing you in the back, talking bad about you? Is it the person that annoys you? Is it the person that kind of repulses you? Is it the person that you know is going to take a lot of time to help? See, God's idea of winning includes getting uncomfortable. He loves us getting uncomfortable. 
right? Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Turn the other cheek. If they take your shirt, give them your coat too. If they force you to go one mile, go two. In verse 30, we just see this awesome answer with Jesus. So, you know, the guy's trying to test him. He's trying to justify himself. He's trying to define, really, who's my neighbor? Let's limit this so that I don't have to do a lot of stuff. In verse 30, he says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is a, a, a really busy thoroughfare. The priest and the Levites travel this road a lot. There's probably about 12,000 people in the area uh, and a lot of people travel this road. So he, he's setting this on a very busy highway. And it says, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. A Levite is somebody who served a priest. Okay, He wasn't a priest, but he, did the, he helped the priest in, in doing the work. And when he saw, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, before we get too judgmental, there was a cost associated for these two men. Okay, as a priest, if they came upon this man and he was uh, he was dead, and they touched him, they would have been considered unclean. They would have to remove themselves from ministry or from what they were supposed to do. They'd have to remove themselves from the people until they were purified. Okay. So there was a cost associated, but there was this tension that was created because they were supposed to be ministers of mercy. Okay? So on one hand, you've got, man, what is the moral thing to do? I know that I'm supposed to show mercy, but on the other hand, you know, but I've got this, this identity that I'm supposed to maintain. And also, you know, if I touch them and he's dead, then I got to remove myself. There's this whole process involved. And say, so we do the same thing. If I interact with somebody who's a prostitute, what do people say about me? If I'm ministering to somebody who tends to do things that are not socially acceptable, what are people going to say about me? How, how much energy is this going to take? What are people going to say? What are people going to do? Right? And so I don't know exactly why they did not stop to minister. You know, it could have been that it was going to, they, they would uh, become unclean. It was going to be an inconvenience. Maybe they were just busy, so busy, kind of like us, that we just pass people by, right? I think this is maybe the scariest to me, though. Maybe they just became so accustomed to what they were seeing that they didn't recognize the need of the person anymore. And so there are people all around us, if we're being honest, that we know need some kind of help. Sometimes it's just an encouraging word. Sometimes um, it's us getting involved in their life. Sometimes it's inviting them to lunch. Sometimes it's telling them about Jesus. Sometimes it's being Jesus. All those things, which are very costly, right? So we're guilty of the same thing. We want to help people in the world, but we don't want to go where they are. We want to help people, but we don't want to get involved. And we pass by people every day that need our help, and we just pass by. But when Jesus was around, everybody won. Would you put up Mark 1 for me? Mark 1, 40 through 42. And this is a different scenario, different situation. Um, but this is, this is why I just love Jesus so much, man. It says, verse 40. Now a leper came to him. Remember what I talked about. A, a leper was somebody who was ostracized, who was on the outskirts. Everywhere they go, they would have to yell out, unclean, and people would scatter. 
So can you imagine? Nobody could touch them. Nobody could hug them. Nobody could be around them. And what does he do? He's imploring him, please heal me. Kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Remember what I said. Remember what, what we talked about earlier. When you see Jesus, you see the Father's heart. And what does he say? Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. We, remember we talked about the unclean? Jesus touched. Can you imagine sticking his hand on flesh that may be rotting? May it sunk in? He says, I'm willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But to me, more than the miracle of the physical healing is the compassion of Jesus to touch the man who has not been touched in we don't know how long. To show that kind of compassion. The world is waiting for people that love Jesus enough to get involved in the areas that are unclean. Let's go back to Luke 10, verse 33. And so Jesus is still talking about the story. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, Jesus is using a Samaritan very specifically. I believe it probably was something that happened. But a Samaritan was uh, mixed nationalities. Like my wife and I, I am white. She is Puerto Rican, Cuban. Our kids would have been Samaritans in that culture. So they would have been ostracized, right? And so he's using this because they were hated. They were considered, considered dogs. Uh, That's what they named them. So they were less than people. Remember the Syrophoenician woman whose, whose little daughter was, uh, was uh, demon possessed. And, and Jesus is saying, why, why should we throw our bread to dogs? Right? Because she understood what society thought about her. And still she pressed in. But even the dogs deserve the crumbs that fall off the table. Jesus was saying, I, I, I know what they say about you. And that's why he's using this. Two different nationalities despised. And he is pointing out the fact that this, if that was a Samaritan on the road, probably more than likely people wouldn't have helped. Now, I got a question for you. If that's a black man on the road, white people, are you going to do anything about it? Black people, if a white person is on that road, you going to do anything about it? Different cultures. That different cultures on the road, you going to do anything about it? Because see, what we do is we come here and we pretend to do stuff together. But in reality... When we go home, I see it. I see it on Facebook. I hear it on the news. There are things that are boiling in people's hearts that are not dealt with. And the church of all places should be the place where there's honest conversation, healing that takes place, repentance that takes place. And so you see this. Are they staying clean at the expense of that man lying in the road? And I've I got the same question for you. Are you staying clean because you don't want to get involved? It's not Christian. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And he didn't hand him off to somebody else. 
He didn't say, I'll pray for you. Took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. That was a day's wage, one denarii. So two days wage there and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, that's commitment. Process, right? Commitment. Not just hand a dollar, but listen to this. I, so I meet somebody out here. I, I just find this incredible. This guy's a bus driver. And he's got this kid, this kid um, that's like 18. And he doesn't have any place to go. And so he takes him home. This just happened. And he says, I, I just had to take him into my home. That's what Jesus would have done. And I, I go, man, that is the concept of the good Samaritan. A stranger, he took a stranger, some kid he doesn't even know, into his house. He says, I will re- reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And can I tell you, there is a cost to getting involved with somebody else. Anybody who's wounded, there is a cost. Loving your neighbor will cost you. But at at least the lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor? How many know that sometimes we're afraid to ask God, who is my neighbor? We don't want to know. It's easier not to know, right? Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And I love this. Verse 37. It says. The expert in the law. The expert. The one who is supposed to know. Is being schooled by Jesus right now. The expert in the law replied. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him. Go and do likewise. I think the bigger issue. In the story. In the story is the, the condition of the people. Looking at the need. In the Gospels, the move is from is to the internal rather than the external. Instead of all the washing, the hands they used to do, the protecting yourself from the unclean, Jesus is trying to get people to be moved with compassion in their heart. These two ministers were trying to balance the right thing to do based on rules. Jesus was trying to show them it was a heart issue. So the lawyer was trying to justify himself. God was showing the need for a broken heart. Is it possible, in your opinion, to think you are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and at the same time treat a suffering human being in the way these two religious people did? We do it all the time. We deny people Jesus. I'm a part of it. I've done it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, will you allow your heart to be broken? Will you allow God to open your eyes to the need around you? And not what you choose to see, what God sees. There's a a video that we're going to show right here. And, and, you know, we talked about lepers. We've talked about people wounded on a road. Can I tell you, I think probably one of um, the the modern day lepers that we have today are those that have struggled sexually. Um. Any kind of gay or lesbian or transgender. I mean, it's all in the news. We know what's happening. Um, People who have been abused. People who are caught up in pornography. All of these things. Listen, it has to be addressed here. It's the elephant in the room. If we look at statistics, 
Lots and lots and lots of people are into pornography. Lots of people have been affected by somebody's abuse. It has to be addressed. We have to talk about it. We don't like talking about it, but we have to. And so I wanted to show this video. My name is Julie, and this is my story. When I was around five, my um, mom and dad got divorced. And um, it was uh, the start, really, of a whole life of being hurt. Um, so it was just my mom then raising me. My dad moved away to California. I didn't see him much, so he was really out of my life. I kind of grew up thinking that there was something wrong with me, something about me he didn't love. Then I entered junior high, and then about two years into it, went into high school and things changed. I started getting um, tempted with uh, parties, drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana. And in that time, I, uh, I, was, I was raped by a kid in my class. And that was my first experience with sex. I felt like I was damaged goods. And because of that, that changed the whole set for my life. And I had become sexually promiscuous because of that. And felt like, well, that's already done and gone, so it doesn't matter now. So I didn't value sex at all. I had my daughter at the age of 19. In this time, there were months that went by that uh, I was homeless and I had nowhere to go. And I would go to bars to try to find people to stay the night with. So I had a shower, food to eat, and a bed to sleep on, or a couch to sleep on. While just coming off the edge of being homeless, in order for me to have my own place to live, um, I danced. And because of that, I felt even more worthless. It, it, it all boils down to not caring about yourself so much that you simply know the choices you're making are poor and, um, and you feel like that's all you deserve. Later on, met my then husband in, uh, in a bar. And as you can imagine, it was, it was a marriage of, of, of drinking. There was a lot of infidelity. And so finally our marriage dissolved. That father I didn't have in my life created this, this space in me that, that, that really led to this destructive path that I wasn't good enough to be loved by anybody. My drinking then became an everyday thing, and I drank every single day. And that went on for years. Well, in this time, my, my dad had been diagnosed with uh, cancer, and it was caused by years of drinking and smoking. So the last two years before my father had passed away, I developed a relationship with him. And uh, then in that time, I started going to church. I started having this desire for Jesus again. And, and I really think it was brought on for some reason by my father and his death, or his soon-to-be death. I had gone to church one time with my husband, and there was a sermon on um, Jacob. And the sermon was, was about how Jacob was wrestling, basically wrestling God. It was so symbolic to me that for these 20 years of my life, I had been wrestling God and fighting Him. And so when, so I ended up, at that moment, surrendering my entire life over to, to the Lord and finally really relinquishing my rights to me and letting God have all of me. 
And it was, it was at that time that he started laying on my heart that he wanted me to share my story to help other women who felt unworth, unworthy and feeling like they didn't matter and that they're unlovable. And it doesn't matter what happened in their life, that God still loves them and God wants them. I grew up with a broken heart. What God did was use my brokenness and he wanted me to help the girls who were also broken with their hearts being so completely broken and wounded. I share with them part of my story. And in that, he has shown me my purpose. My purpose is to help broken women with wounded hearts and to help their hearts be healed through him, through his strength, through his love. And that is what my purpose is on this earth. My name is Julie and I'm a living testimony that when hearts get broken, everybody wins. As I'm hearing the story, there's a, a young girl that's, I don't know, eighth, ninth grade. And she, um, she's been abused. And she was about to make some really bad decisions and somebody came and told me and I just, I sat down with her. When you're, when you're abused early. I don't know this personally, but I've just seen it so often. It opens up your world and you're not ready to handle it. That's why so many people make these decisions. They have no worth. They, they believe that. They, they believe. So it's all they know. They don't understand anything else. Thank you. It's a, a whole generation of kids. Some of you guys out there today, you've experienced it too. You've wrestled with it your whole life. And God can heal you. And he won't waste your pain. You can't allow the enemy to, to lie to you and you can't allow, um, you can't give up another year. God can redeem your pain. This is what this is about. Everybody's broken. Everybody has experienced bad stuff. And everybody wins when hearts are broken. I want to speak to the young adults for a minute. You know, we live in a culture that's so self-driven. Pursue your dreams, pursue your goals, all those things. But if I'm being very honest, if you would begin to pray, God, show me your heart, show me your need. That's when you begin to align yourself with your purpose on this earth. 
You have to lose your life in order to find it. That's what the gospel is all about. We have broken people all around us. Katie Davis um, was a young girl. She was 18 years old. She went to Uganda for a teaching trip or just to help serve. She gets over there and and her heart is, is broken by the Ugandan people. She sees needs all over the place, uh, young students that need to pay to go to school, broken families. So she comes back home. She spends three months in Uganda, tells her parents, I've got to go back. I'm called to Uganda. And her parents go, you're not, no, you're not. You're going to school and we've got a track picked out for you and you're going to follow that track. And she just went, I've got to do this. So she goes to Uganda And she just falls in love with the people. And before long, after a year, she's got 13 daughters living with her. And there's a whole ministry. And she takes over an orphanage. She's traveled the world to to raise money for these girls. But at this point in time, she still has 13 daughters. She's like 19 or 20. And this is what she says. Now, the mother of 13 daughters, Katie, offers people tell me I am brave. People tell me I'm strong. People tell me, good job. Well, here's the truth of it. I'm really not that brave, and I'm not really that strong, and I'm not doing anything spectacular. I'm just doing what God called me to do as a follower of him. Feed his sheep and do unto the least of his people. At some point in time, church, we've got to be the church. You know, Jesus went into the temple, and he turned over tables Because of the system that had been set up. And there are times where in my spirit, I just want to flip over the church. It's not enough to sit in attendance. The world needs people who love Jesus to do something. I want to encourage my older generation. And this is just a word from the Lord for you. Joshua and Caleb are heroes to me. They were one of the two spies that said that Israel would be able to go enter the promised land and conquer. Just like God said that they could. But ten other people said, no, you can't. There's no way. For 40 years, 40 years, they walked around a desert, a wilderness, not entering into a promise. And my encouragement, there are some older people that you feel like time has passed you by. Or that that hope, that promise has gone on, and I'm telling you, stay engaged. If you have disengaged to re-engage, my generation and the generation underneath, our young people need moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas. We're desperate. Our kids are biblically, biblically illiterate. They, some of them are unloved. If I told you stories... It, it's, it is mind-blowing how bad some of these kids have it. Young people, young adults, please tap into and give your lives away to our, our youth. I, this is a pastor begging. Don't look forward, look back. And you'll find your life in it. As I get older, I'm beginning to recognize, you know, there's some things I won't be able to accomplish. There's some things I've, I've got some limitations. You know, anybody who knows me knows I have limitations. There are um, dreams that I've watched die. 
But I'm finding that my life will live on because of the people that God has called me to love and give my life away to. Hebrews 11 is just exactly that. Thousands of years later, we're reading about people that invested their life, followed God, and I am a tutor to what they did. Man, live your life for the next world. There is so much more to come. And there are so many people that need you to give your life away. There are people laying half dead on the road in front of you every single day. And you need to pay attention and look for them. True Christianity doesn't cost you something. It'll cost you everything. But my concern is the longer you're in the church, the more difficult it will will be for you to actually do it. Do something today. If you would stand. So Father, I just pray blessing over the people in this room. And God, I I pray that you would open their eyes to what's around them. And I pray that you would break their hearts for the things that break your heart and for the people, God, that need your love, need your care, need your correction, all those things. If you know that God is speaking to you specifically about salvation, you know that you need a Savior, you know that you need a Lord, this is the time that we want to give you. You can do it at home, but there's just something about acknowledging it publicly. I am not ashamed. I want to be saved. We want that. We want to give you an opportunity right now. So if you know that the Lord is dealing with your heart, you know that you need to come back to him. Or maybe it's the first time you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I just want you to lift up your hand. We're going to give you just a moment just to acknowledge anybody in the room. See that hand? Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you for your courage. You can put that hand down. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray with one of our prayer workers. The rest of you guys, you need to live this. You need to live the gospel. You need to pray and ask God, who, who, who do I need to have my heart broken for? Open my eyes to the people around me. You may be surprised at where God leads you from this. So Father, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray God that you would do mighty things in them and through them. I pray God that you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart, God. And I pray that we would love people greatly. We bless you. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward at this time. If you want to receive prayer and if you, if you did pray to receive salvation, come forward and tell somebody today. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.